0: Good afternoon, so good to see many of you today. If you have your Bibles, please get ready to turn to Psalm 18, Psalm 18. We're continuing our study through the Psalms in our series, Summer in the Psalms. We're looking to cover 10 Psalms each summer in the span of 15 years, and we're almost finished with year two as we're covering chapters 11 through 20, these months of June, July, and August. I've been encouraging our church to read through the entire book of the Psalms, all relatively short chapters. So with 23 weekdays left of summer, uh, you can read about six and a half chapters each day, Monday through Friday, and you'll be able to finish the entire Psalms. Or if you started reading in June, you can continue to read two to three chapters, and you'll be at a good pace to finish by the end of August. If you're reading, hope you have been encouraged. Please encourage others by sharing what you've been reading about to inspire and encourage others to read it also. The psalms that we'll be studying this afternoon is not the most well-known psalm, but it stands out because it is a long psalm, 50 verses. It's not the longest psalm. Psalm 119 is 126 verses. Psalm 78 is 72 verses. Psalm 89 is 52 verses. So Psalm 18 is the fourth longest psalm in the Psalter. Not only that, the heading of the psalm is one of the longest Second only to Psalm 60's header. Well, although one of the longer psalms, I have the unique challenge today to preach all 50 verses in about 35 minutes or less. We'll see if that's possible. And that's because we have a number of important things to cover for our members meeting immediately following service, such as the life and reality of a church plant. We only have a set number of hours to work with, but I trust that God can speak to us powerfully even with one of the longest psalms in one of the shortest sermons. Can I get an amen? So here, whoa, you guys are a little too excited about that. Come on now. <laughs> psalm 18 is a thanksgiving psalm or a royal psalm. It celebrates how God has shown his love to his people by giving them David as king and by preserving David through many dangers. And that's what the heading tells us in summary. But the psalm is so much more. As we have read in, in our scripture reading that our sister Bo read, this psalm is much more than just about David and his victories. The psalm is almost identical to Second Samuel chapter 22. The main difference is their context. Second Samuel 22 is David's personal expression of gratitude to the Lord, while Psalm 18 is the adaptation of that song for the whole congregation of God's people to sing. And they are singing because their well-being is tied to the offspring of David by God's covenant with David as according to Second Samuel 7 verses 4 through 17. As such, when God's people sang this psalm, they would give praise to God for His covenant, and pray that the following generations would be faithful to the Lord, in order that his people might carry out God's purposes, in bringing the good news wherever God would lead them. Therefore, as God has been faithful to keep His covenant throughout the generation, this psalms applies even to us today. So from Psalm 18, I want to share with you five reasons to give God praise. Here's the outline so you can follow. Five reasons to give God praise from Psalm 18. Here's the outline. Point number one God hears. God hears from verses 1 through 6. Point number two God delivers from verses 7 through 19. Point number three God justifies from verses 20 through 29. Point number four, God sanctifies, from verses 30 through 45. And finally, point number five, God keeps his covenant forever, from verses 46 through 50. So five points, God hears, God delivers, God justifies, God sanctifies, and finally, God keeps his covenant forever. Brothers and sisters, I pray through this message, you will be reminded afresh God's goodness and faithfulness to us through his son, Jesus Christ, the anointed one. And I pray that the word will refuel your love for him, our deliverer, the God of steadfast love. If you are here and you're not a Christian, welcome. We're so glad that you are here gathering with us. We prayed for you, especially if you are new to church or it's been a while since you've been committed to a local church. We pray that what you see and what you hear would be a great blessing and encouragement to you. One of the clearest evidence of the truth of God is his people who have been gathering together to worship him every Sunday ever since Jesus got up from the grave. We follow in the footsteps of millions of Christians who testify of this reality that Jesus has changed us completely, that he is indeed true and real and alive. And so we pray you will come to know Jesus and the salvation that he offers you today if you would repent of your sins and trust him as your Lord and your Savior. So let's now turn to our passage found on page 454 and 455 and 456 in the blue Bibles around you. And as you listen, I want to encourage you to please keep your Bibles open throughout the entire duration of the message and follow along as I read and preach to help you better understand these words. And by the way, if you do not have a Bible to read at home, please take one of those blue Bibles with you as a gift from us. To help you grow in studying God's word. Psalm chapter 18 says this to the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hands of all his enemies, and from the hand of Saul. He said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock. And my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke. O oh Lord at the blast of your breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high, he took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and I'm not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were, were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with a crooked you make yourself seem tortuous. You have saved a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through So that they were not able to rise, they fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. And those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like a mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people... You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost their heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be the rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to you your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows his steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. The first reason Psalm 18 leads us to give praise to God, point number one, is because God hears. God hears from verses 1 through 6. As I shared, Psalm 18 is a psalm of thanksgiving, a a royal psalm. It's a psalm where King David is praising God for his deliverance, celebrating the end of both external and internal strife. So David is looking back on his life thus far and remembering the days he was running for his life in hiding in deep, dark days of depression from his enemies, from Saul. And he's giving thanks and praise to God for God's faithfulness in delivering him from them all. This psalm was probably written at the height of David's monarchy as written about in 2 Samuel chapter 8. In many ways, Psalm 18, as one commentator notes, is the high point of the book 1, chapters 1 through 41 of the psalms. Yet, I thought about why this psalm is not as well known to us. It's one of the longest psalms, yet I assume very few of us would recall Or be able to identify Psalm 18 as the psalm of book one in the Psalter. And I have a guess why that may be the case. Perhaps the psalm is too lofty. Perhaps the details recollected of David's deliverance is too dramatic to be relatable to us. To the point where it really is less relatable to you and me in our own struggles. But to cut to the chase, that's the purpose of the psalm you see. The psalm is not about you and me. Well, at least directly, it's about David. But more importantly, it's about Jesus Christ. John Calvin, the great 16th century reformer, comments, this psalm agrees better with Christ than with David. And I'll explain more of how soon. But the point I want to make and for us to consider is this psalm is wonderful and significant because it points us to God who is so above and beyond, so mighty and powerful, so lofty and worthy of praise because of the way he has raised up and delivered and set apart and promised his anointed King David and his offspring forever. Here we are, indebted to his grace, to his faithfulness, to his promise. To his ultimate victory, here we are this afternoon able to join in with King David in praising our mighty God, our great deliverer. Amen? That's why the psalmist breaks out in praise in verses 1 through 3. Look with me to verses 1 through 3 again. It says this, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock. And my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from all my enemies. The word for I love you in verse 1 is an uncommon one. It denotes a deeply emotional, affectionate, somewhat impulsive love. David is expressing deep and affectionate love to God. Emotions only experienced by one who has relational intimacy with another. David's expressive confession is followed by an impressive list of David's relationship with God, doesn't it? Verse two, the Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my deliverer. The Lord is my God. The Lord is the rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. In David's distresses, David had called upon the Lord according to verse 6, and David testifies in verse 3. He was saved from his enemies. Hence the metaphors in verse 2 were all the ways God delivered him in specific circumstances in his life. The first rock was the cliff in the wilderness of Maon. You could read about it in 1 Samuel 23. The second rock, a different word in Hebrew, was a reference to the cave of Agilom. You can read about that story in 1 Samuel 22. You see, these were locations where David was pursued by Saul as an outlaw. It's the places where David had often cried out to God to be his deliverer, to be his refuge, to be his shield for defense, to be his horn for offense, and to be his stronghold, his strength, his home base. In all those places where David experienced the cords, the torrents, the snares of death as described in verses 4 and 5. And here David is praising God that from his heavenly temple, God heard his voice and his cries reached his ears. Brothers and sisters, I wonder if you can share with David's expressive and deeply emotional affection that you also love the Lord this afternoon. Can you say that? with deep, emotional, expressive affection to God this afternoon? What are the metaphors that describe who God is to you? What is your testimony of God's faithfulness? How has he rescued you and delivered you and heard your cries for help in times of distress? We may not literally have experienced near-death experiences as David did many times over, having pursued by his enemies, but we can relate with David in the way that God has heard our prayers in times of need over and over and over again can't we and for that we can join with the psalmist in praising God this afternoon the truth is many people in the church appreciate God for many things but they do not love him 1 Corinthians 16:22 write this verse down 1 Corinthians 16:22 challenges us if anyone has no love for the lord let him be accursed If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed not because he or she has no love for God, but because you have not yet known nor experienced the greatest love mankind can ever know. Truly not knowing the love of God is the most damnable thing. To not know the love of God is to be accursed. To not know your maker and the great love in which we are created by and for is a tragedy. So if that's you, if you do not know the love of God, if you cannot say with David, with affection, with deep emotion that you love the Lord this afternoon, pay close attention because this invitation is for you. Scripture says in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we pray, we pray that you will call on him who hears your cries. Amen? The second reason we can join in with a psalmist in praising God is point number two, because God delivers. God delivers from verses 7 through 19. Uh, Just as in verses 1 through 6, the psalmist cries out to God and his expressive confession to God, I love you, O Lord, was dramatic in tone, we see the dramatic response of God's mighty and majestic deliverance of David, a supernatural intervention in verses 7 through 19. David cries out in dire desperation, and the Lord responds with an earthquake in verse 7. One commentator notes the titanic scale of this scene is in strange contrast to the small human figure of the psalmist, to rescue whom God does battle in person against death and perdition, armed with his most fearful weapons. But as the psalmist implies, such is the worth of the individual. Whom God intends to protect and to preserve. Psalm 17 described him as the apple of God's eyes. So, in other words, there is a purpose why God goes to the lengths he does to be the rock and the refuge for David. Theologians call this vivid imagery and description of God's rescue in verses 7 through 15 a theophany, which is the manifestation of God in literal, visible, and sensible form. Uh, Verse 8 speaks of God responding to David's danger as an angry dragon. God puffing smoke from his nostrils, devouring fire, blasting from his mouth, glowing coals flaming forth from him. In verses 10 through 15, it pictures God's coming as if it were by a raging thunderstorm. But the most interesting part of these verses are what the imagery of David's deliverance recalls to mind. The descriptions of these verses are reminiscent of what once literally happened in the experience of God's people Israel in Exodus. The plagues of Exodus 9 and 10, the crossing of the Red Sea in Exodus 15, and the descent of God on Mount Sinai of Exodus 19. And that seems to be what the psalmist has in mind as he's remembering his own deliverance experience. Now, for the sake of time, let me just cut to the chase again and tell you that the point of this psalm is to point us to a new and greater and final exodus. It's to show us that God's miraculous acts of rescue in Israel's history is a mere shadow to the great deliverance God was unveiling, pointing us to the greater Moses and to the greater David. So follow along with me. In verses 16 through 19, David portrays God's rescue as if his enemies were swirling waters about to drown him from which God plucks him out and sets him on a broad place, doesn't it? And you also see the psalmist picks back up the first-person form left up in verse 6. So look with me to verses 16 through 17 again. It says this. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me for they were too mighty for me. The word there in verse 16, he drew me, drew me out of many waters is the word also used in Exodus 2.10 when Moses was drawn out of the water. Again, the psalmist is recalling to mind God's greater purpose in David's deliverance. The enemy hated him in verse 17, confronted him in verse 18, confined him into a narrow place in verse 19. But the Lord rescues him, supports him, Brings him out to a broad place all because, as it says in the last phrase of verse 19, he delighted in me. Oh my goodness, I wish I had more time to unpack all this. There's so much biblical theology here, good stuff. But the point is this, Israel's history that ties David's story, that points to the grand redemptive story of Scripture, all makes sense Because of David's anointed offspring in whom God delighted in, in whom God made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses, and David, that a line would be preserved in order that this highly favored one, that this anointed one, this promised one would be the new and greater deliverer in whom God delights in. He is the one whom God the Father said from heaven in Matthew 3, 17, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. His name, you guessed it, is Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God in whom such great deliverance is made possible. This is why Luke 1, verses 67 through 70, speaks of Jesus as the fulfillment of Zachariah's prophecy when it says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouths of his holy prophets from old. Jesus is he of whom Stephen said in Acts 7, verse 35, this Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush." Jesus is he of whom Romans eleven twenty six 26 says, in this all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. Jesus, again, is he of whom 1 Thessalonians 1:10 says, wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Brothers and sisters, he, Jesus, is the only reason why the next 10 verses make sense. In fact, he is the only reason why this entire psalm, Psalm 18, makes sense. Follow along. Why should we give God praise? Point number three, God justifies. Look at verses 20 through 30. I'm going to be speaking from there. Again, I wish I had more time to build this up for you, but there is a reason why verses 20 through 30 sticks out in this psalm so obviously, so prominently. As I've been teaching you, that in the Hebrew poetic form, the use of parallelism and chiasm are significant. It's intended to highlight and emphasize the point that the psalmist is drawing attention to. Well, in this psalm, the poetic form is full of both, parallelism and chiasm. But the way in which the psalmist uses chiasm to emphasize these 11 verses is really mind-blowing. James Montgomery Boyce points out that the psalm starts out with the psalmist praising God the rock in verses one through three. You have to look at your Bibles, come on. The psalm also closes with the psalm by praising God again as the rock in verses 46 through 50. Verses four through 19 explains how God delivers. And verses 31 through 45 explains how God equipped David with strength to be delivered from his enemies. But verses 20 through 30, specifically verses 20 through 24, are the reasons why God delivered David. And verses 25 through 29 are the biblical principles based on who God is, on why he delivers his people and destroys his enemies. So let me just point you to a few things to help you understand what the reason is in why God delivered David and why God continues to deliver his people even today. Look at verses 20 through 21. It says this. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. Now, these verses could be taken as David being absurdly, almost rudely self-righteous, if not for two reasons. This song, again, is from 2 Samuel, which is very clear about David's sins, especially in 2 Samuel 10 and 11, the consequences of David's sin, which follows the rest of the chapters. So if you reference later this afternoon or this week, 2 Samuel 10 and 11, which this song follows, it is clear that the psalm has and knows David's sins. It's not ignoring David's sins. But then how can the psalmist say, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. And according to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. Well, for you observant readers of the Bible, you have mentioned it to me, Nick Kim, that you discussed in community groups how there are numerous chiasms in this psalm. And here in verses 20 through 24, a chiasm within a chiasm, a point within a point, the central aim of the central aim. But unlike inception, it's not dream within a dream. It is a truth within a truth. You following me? (laughs) You see how in verses 23 and 24 is basically the flipped repetition of verses 20 and 22, right? I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. Kept by the word. According to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, rewarded? How did that happen? Verse 22 is the key. Verse 22 is the answer within the answer. Verse 22 is the truth within the truth. So look with me there, verse 22. For all his rules were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. You see, the psalmist is drawing our attention to the preciousness of God's word. Like in Psalm 17, verses 3 and 4, the psalmist emphasizes again that it is God's word that he was held fast to God's path, that it's God's word that was before him leading him, that kept him standing on firm grounds, the very rock on which David stood as his unshakable foundation and sheltered and hidden and safe from all harms. It is God's word. Brothers and sisters, please allow me to get to the point David would later write in Psalm one nineteen one o five, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And John 1, 1 and John one fourteen says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory and glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Put all that together. Simply, Jesus is the word. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the path who held David fast. Jesus is the righteousness. Jesus is the cleanness of David's hands. Jesus is the reward that David would confidently find refuge and hope in. This is why David proclaims in verse 3, this God, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Brothers and sisters, just as David was justified by Jesus' righteousness, we too have been gifted this gracious reward. Brothers and sisters, friends and visitors, I want you to understand this is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the best news that you will ever hear about what God has done in Jesus Christ to redeem sinners to himself. The gospel is that God is the creator of all things, and he created us all in love. That God is perfectly holy, worthy of all worship, and that God will punish sin because he is righteous. But though man was created in the image of God, and although created good, the truth is we were not good of ourselves. And by succumbing to the Satan's temptations to disobey and distrust God's word we willfully rebelled against God, choosing to be our own gods. Man became sinful by nature, alienated from God, hostile to God, and hence justly subject to the wrath of God. But God, he had a plan from the very beginning, didn't he? To deliver a people from their sins to salvation. And his plan was Jesus Christ, who is truly God and truly man, who lived a sinless life, Who died on the cross to bear God's wrath in place of all who would believe in him. And Jesus Christ rose again from the grave on the third day in order to give his people new and eternal life. And God calls everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and trust in Christ in order to be saved and experience the unshakable hope, the certainty of heaven by the power of God's spirit and his word working in and through us. So friend, if you are here and you are not a Christian or are not sure that you are, I pray that these words will pierce your hearts and awaken you to the only one who is able to save you from your sins. Jesus Christ is the living word. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Jesus Christ is the path unto new and eternal life. So this moment, repent of your sins. Believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again for you and trust him with your whole life today and tomorrow and the next day and forevermore. If you want to know more about how you can follow him, please talk to me or Pastor Jeremy or Jacob at one of the doors at the close of service. We would love to talk to you about how you can be a follower of Jesus Christ. Two more brief reasons to praise God. Point number four, God sanctifies. God sanctifies from verses 31 through 45. Uh, Verses 31 through 45 teaches us the reality that God not only hears us, Delivers us, justifies us, but that God also sanctifies us. Or in other words, God makes us holy. He equips us with strength for the battle. That's verse 32. Just as God had given David a shield of salvation and supported him and made him great in verse 35, just as God gave David a wide place for his steps and kept David from slipping in verse 36, just as God made David's enemies turn back in verse 40. Just as God delivered David from strife and made him the head of nations in verse 43, although we have not experienced such militaristic victory as David did, we have been equipped by the word for battle, for earthly warfare, as well as spiritual warfare to persevere with God to the end. And also we get to reap the rewards of the battle because Christ finished work on the cross and by his resurrection and ascension and forthcoming return and glorification Thank you, Brandon. You knew that I needed some water. <laughs> David's confidence, brothers and sisters, is our confidence. David's blessing is our blessing. David's hope is our hope. That's basically what we too get to confess with David from verses 25 through 29. We get to praise God with David in verses 31 because of God's covenant with Jesus Christ. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock? Except our God. Brothers and sisters, we can be certain of this hope. We can be certain of this truth. We can be certain of this confidence, this assurance that it will never diminish, that it will never run dry, never wane, and we will persevere to the end because the fifth and final reason also, we can praise God. We can give God great praise. Point number five, because God keeps his covenant forever from verses 46 through 50. Look with me to those verses. It says this, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, and the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rise against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. These final verses shows us that this psalm is not merely about the deliverance of King David, but about the great deliverance of David's offspring, Jesus, and the great exaltation and the great salvation he, God, brings to his king and shows how he will keep his steadfast love because of his covenant to his anointed and through his anointed one forevermore. In other words, brothers and sisters, we can praise God because the Lord Jesus Christ lives today because he is our blessed rock and exalted as the God of my salvation. If you recall Matthew 16, verses 15 through 18, upon Peter's confession that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, remember when Jesus responded, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. 1 Corinthians 10, 4 says, for they drink from a spiritual rock and that rock was Christ." First Peter two six says, "For it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame." Ephesians two nineteen says, "So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles." and of the prophets, because Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of God. So again, because of Christ, because of what he has done, because of his invitation for sinners like you and me, Gentiles like you and me, we can join in praising God with David, who is God but Jesus, and who is a rock except Jesus. Amen? Brothers and sisters is Jesus your rock? Is Jesus your cornerstone? Is Jesus your refuge? Is Jesus your firm foundation? Then can you expressively, affectionately praise him and say, I love you, Lord. Give him praise today and forever because he hears, he delivers, he justifies, he sanctifies, and more than anything else, because he keeps his word. He will keep his covenant forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that despite our unrighteousness, despite our failures in this life, despite the way we slip and fall and slide, Father, you prove yourself to be a refuge our rock, our stronghold. Thank you for the reminder through Psalm 18 that David's praise is our praise, that we can declare with David, I love you, O Lord, because you have become my deliverer, because you have kept your word, because you have kept your covenant. Father, we pray that New Covenant Baptist Church will continue to praise your name for many generations, not because of what we do, but because you are the promise keeper of your word. We thank you and praise you for who you are. We thank you for Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray.